welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast with me, Steph Fairburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. This episode, I speak to Dean Arrowsmith, Director of Coaching United and Extra at ISO Region 300 in Chicago and currently undertaking his UEFA A license. Dean is also co-founder and chairperson of Head in the Game, a mental health campaign aiming to start a conversation for any individual involved in the League of Ireland. I caught up with Dean to talk about the work Head in the Game does, the results of a survey he recently put out to coaches about mental health, and how coaches can go about taking care of their mental health. Please note, this podcast discusses mental health difficulties and contains references to suicide. Dean, welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. Steph, thanks a million. Thanks for having me. No, it's it's great to have you. Um, could you could you start by telling the listeners a bit about you and your coaching journey and where you're coaching at the minute? Yeah, um, so I suppose if I go all the way back, um, I, I realised at a very young age that I wasn't very good of a player. Um, so when I turned 16, I... I think I was 16 and one month when I done my first ever coaching license through the, the Football Association of Ireland. It was back then it was called the Kickstart licenses. I think now they're they're grassroots um courses they're called, but I, I done my Kickstart one um just after I turned 16. Started coaching locally, helping out some of the head coaches at, at the local club um back home in it's like in rural Ireland. Um and then I went to college in a town called Dundalk, um, which some of your listeners may have heard of Dundalk FC that played they played um Europa League a couple of years ago against Arsenal um, during the pandemic. So they made it to the group stages a couple of times after I'd left, but uh I had opportunities to kind of work with them and I helped build their schools program and their community program over a couple of years. Um while still coaching locally in head coaching capacities at, at uh, my home club. After that, an opportunity kind of came to go to America um, to coach back in 2009. So I, I had done coaching licenses up as far as my youth started in 2009. And then the opportunity came to go to America for seven months. And, you know, it's always a dream, I think, of any coaches and probably coaches that are listening to this that they would like to uh, like to coach full time. So to be able to do it full time, regardless of the level that I was at at the time, you know, it was it was an amazing opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. So. I went out for, for seven months. Um, if I'm being totally honest, I hated it because I was only 20. I was homesick. Um, moving from, as I say, rural Ireland to a, a big city like Chicago is a, is a big uh, life change. So uh, I say I hated it until probably about a month before I was due to go home. And um, then I wanted to stay in America. But I, I came home anyway because for visa reasons, I had to leave. Um, came back home, was was supposed to go back to America in 2010, but I had an opportunity then to work with Dundalk FC in, in the first team and I was coaching, I was the assistant manager for the, the old reserve team in the A Championship. But I was kept man for the first team. I uh, was supposed to go in for a week, ended up staying for two and a half years um, as kept man. The club had moved from part-time to full-time, so that was probably my first experience of being around full-time professional football, professional footballers, on a day-to-day basis, um, I, I done my UEFA B license, uh, or I began my UEFA B license, I should say, during that time. So to be able to kind of study a high-level course and be around this professional environment and be able to pick the brains off the manager, the, the, the assistant manager at the time, 
um, was just unbelievable. And Dundalk, you know, that's that's a town where I was born. It's not where I grew up, but it's kind of like it would be the equivalent of someone from, I hope I say this right, someone from Manchester wanting to coach Manchester United or maybe Man City. I'll try I'll try to uh, keep both sides of the, of the coin happy there. But um, to be able to be involved working with Dundalk, working with the first team, was it was a dream come true. And, you know, I was able to, like, take warm-ups pre-match and, and things like that. So as 21, a 21-year-old, it's the best apprenticeship you could probably get in football. Um, unfortunately, like a lot of Irish professional clubs, Dundalk ran into a little bit of kind of economic problems in 2012, um, and I was I was let go unfortunately, but stayed involved for another another um, six months on paid to kind of help keep the club afloat, and then uh, left the club in t- 2013. Started coaching locally again, but at the age of I think 25, I started coaching a men's team, um, which again that was. At 25, when you're coaching your mates and you're coaching people that are older than you, it's it's quite uh it's a daunting experience, it's an eye-opening experience. But for me as a coach, I always kind of want to throw myself in at the deep end and see if I can sink or swim. So it was uh it was really a good um a good opportunity, you know, and, and a good experience for me. And then coaching in America has always kind of been in the back of my head since I since I returned home in 09. So in 2015, after I coached the men's team, we'd won our, we'd won our league. We lost the cup final. I was going to coach them again the following year. Really enjoyed my time coaching them. It was probably some of the best coaching I've done. And even today, since then, it's probably um, my favourite experience coaching. My favourite year coaching was that 2015 year. But the opportunity again came to go back to America. So I, uh, I grabbed it with both hands and came back into the club where I spent my very first week in America in 09 uh, on a summer camp. I was back here and I've been here for seven and a half. I'm just about to start my eighth year now at the club. Started as a staff coach. Um, after 18 months, I became an assistant director of coaching. And then a year later, I became the director of coaching. That's the role I um, I fill today. So it's just, uh, as I say, from quite a lengthy, um, a lengthy coaching journey that I've had, I think I'm 16, 16 years, maybe 17 years at it at this point. But uh, I'm at a point in my life now where I'm, I've just started my UFA license, but I'm at a point where as director of coaching, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of helping co- other coaches, you know, younger coaches than me and um, kind of teaching them based off the experiences that I've had in coaching and and even, you know, being a mentor to people that want to go to America or want to step into that senior environment that they can come to me with advice. I feel like that's something that I'm enjoying. That, um, I, as I say, I can mentor young coaches. Thanks, Dean, for that. That's a, Yeah, it's really great to listen to your journey. And I think actually for coaches listening to that, um, it's really useful for them as well. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about mental health in in coaching, um, and I know you're involved in um, in head in the head in the game and kind of things to do with mental health in coaching. So I guess yeah, do you just want to start there? Tell us a bit about what your involvement is around mental health. Yeah, so I suppose. You know, I, I've always kind of suffered a little bit with mental health on my own. And I, I, when I say I've suffered a little bit, I don't want it to sound like, you know, I've never had antidepressants. Uh, I've never been, I think, that deeply affected by my mental health. But I do have, you know, confidence issues. Um, as I say, I've gone on coaching licenses like when I done the UFAB at the age of 21. I had imposter syndrome because I was the youngest person on the course. That's tough as a young coach that probably doesn't have enough self-belief. Um and unfortunately, I lost an uncle to suicide in 2017. Um, 
so since then I've kind of been advocating for mental health. Um, so for the past five, five and a half years, I've, I've been an advocate for, for mental health and more specifically for men's mental health. And I'll probably go back throughout the conversation to Dundalk FC as well, but Dundalk's videographer um, committed suicide in July of 2020. It's actually coming up to his anniversary, I think, uh, at the end of next week. Um, and the day after that, it was kind of, I always use the analogy or, or I, I use the phrase that, you know, when somebody passes away from a tragedy, not just by suicide, but if anyone suffers a tragedy, everyone will tweet about it, or celebrity suffers a tragedy, everyone will tweet about it for a day, you know, the day it happens, the day after, but then the day after that, everybody kind of moves on to the next story, where if you're struggling with your mental health, it's not a quick fix, you know, it, it, it's never a quick fix, it's, it's as I've learned over the last, the last two years, especially, it's a, it's a roller coaster. you know, you have high moments where you're feeling great, you have low moments where, where you feel really down. So um, it, it doesn't just end after that one day. So I kind of put a, put a group chat in with, with a couple of lads that are supporters at Dundalk FC the day after Harry passed. And I was like, look, so, something has to be done here. Um, and that's kind of how Head in the Game was was born. It was myself and, and five other lads from, from Dundalk, just supporters. We're not, none of us are clinicians. We're not psychologists. We're, we're not anything... Um, and I wrote a poem called The Floodlights, which went out. Um, it was one of the first things that went out for Head in the Game. And again, this is talking about my own mental health. The day that we released it, I actually had to go out. And I think I'd done like a 10-mile run because I didn't want to look at social media when that, when that video went up because I didn't, not that I didn't believe in the words that I said, but I didn't know how it was going to, how people were going to react. But it had, I think, 250,000 views within the first 48 hours, the, the video. So it resonated with a lot of people, you know. So for me, that was a sign that we were on the right track. Um, and it initially, again, being, being completely honest to people that maybe are listening to this podcast, it initially, our, our idea again was, it was centered around men's mental health. But then in football, you know, there's, there's such a big um, push on the women's game right now. We're seeing that with the Euros and in America, I'm seeing a lot of that out here that I was like, we, we can't discriminate gender. You know, we, we have to make sure that we're all inclusive we've partnered with the Professional Footballers Association of Ireland. We've done a little bit of work with the Football Association of Ireland. But it's not just about players either. We want to stress that too, is we want heading the game to be inclusive of supporters, of players, of coaches, of referees, you know, anyone that's involved in sport or in our sport, um, that we can use heading the game as the vessel for that. And to, to be honest, the, the way that it's grown within the football community and the goodwill that we've received is just, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we're coming up, we have our AGM coming up in the next couple of weeks. And I think we're, as I say, we're two years old, probably a week from today, to be able to see the, the growth that Head in the Game has had and, and the impact that it's had. And, and we know for a fact, based off of um, people that have reached out to us, you know, just having that within that football community definitely helps. And Head in the Game is not going to take credit for this, but I, I feel like, especially in the last 12 months, you're seeing a lot more footballers now are starting to talk openly about their mental health. You're seeing coaches that talk about their mental health. I mean, I heard David Moyes um, on a podcast recently talk very openly about his mental health. And, and that's probably, and I know we're going to talk about coaches' mental health in a little bit. And that conversation with David Moyes is probably what sparked my interest on, on the coaches' side of, of looking after their mental health. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, I've seen that change a little bit as well. And we featured some things in the in the magazine um another Irish coach actually spoke about his mental health I've, I've spoken about mine but 
I think there's, I guess there's still a long way to go and it's organizations like yours that are really making that, that difference. Um, I suppose what, what do you think some of the pressures are on coaches that kind of can, can lead to mental health struggles or what are some of the unique factors around coaching that can impact on your mental health? Yeah. So I, I actually put out about a month ago, I put out a, a, a small survey the survey I think it was 100 coaches that I surveyed just on different things about coach burnout what leads to that impact on their mental health and um, some of it it varies obviously because you've got obviously the coaches at the very high level you've got coaches that are in the grassroots and the answers of the response have varied I mean in grassroots level and this is to put it bluntly and I hope there's parents are listening to the podcast uh, you know out of all the grassroots or coaches that surveyed every one of them said the parents are, are a massive factor in, in the negative impact in their mental health. Um, at, at the higher level, I've got friends, you know, that are coaching in the in, in League One, League Two. Um, they have said, you know, you're, you're only six games away from the sack and that kind of pressure. Uh, and I mean, thankfully, I'm in a role where I don't face that kind of pressure because I'm, you know, when you're in the in the grassroots, or you're in that younger age group, it's all about development. So as long as you're developing players, you're, you're set but when you're at that top top level to hear him say that that he's only six games away from the sack is like I couldn't couldn't imagine that pressure you know and maybe you lose even two games on the bounce or you you lose two and you draw one the pressure then three games into that six game period if you know what I mean like I, I feel like that's something that would be really stressful and then even taking away from you know from on the pitch stuff I think a lot of it as well is when you're coaching you don't really have a social life, you know, you, you're, you're coaching all the time. And for probably, I'd say a lot, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, a lot of them are probably volunteers as well. So you're giving up your free time. And I've heard again over the last couple of years, you know, I, I read actually in a book, it was Ian Holloway was talking about his wife is a football, is a football manager widow, you know, because she never sees him or he's always switched on. He's always on the game. So all of that, I think definitely has an effect on, on coaches, mental health. And it's, for me, I'm hoping that the work that we're doing through Head in the Game and the work that I'm doing with, with this coach survey and the talk that I want to bring forward is I'm hoping just that I can help coaches come up with a couple of different things that can help, you know, just the, the best way to describe it would be it's like a valve, something that can just re- release a little bit of that tension, you know, whether it's, for me, it's going for a run. As I say, if I go for a run, it helps me. But if I, if I run a 5K, that, that might help my mental health. It's making sure that it doesn't get too much that I need to run a marathon to sort my mental health because people might say, your mental health's not great if you decide to run a marathon anyway, you know, but um, for me, it, it it's just trying to help coaches, as I say, just figure out ways to enjoy the job, enjoy what they're doing, but also be able to, to switch off because that, that's the worst part or that, that's the hardest part I even find today as a coach. You just, you can never switch off. And you said as well that, you know, there was a good response to the survey. I guess do you get the sense that coaches are wanting to talk about this more and maybe wanted, wanting to share experiences between coaches more? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think one of the biggest things for me is we're seeing so much about player care right now. And that's absolutely fantastic. And I want to see more of that. And I think every club, you know, from the lowest, the lowest, age level and grassroots football all the way up to the top professional level like you know every club to me should have a player care representative um, right up to the professional level 
but there's nothing to what I can see and I've done a little bit of research there's, there's nothing for coaches right now and it's still a case of how can how can I help a player who's struggling if I'm struggling myself that's the kind of mentality that I take and again over the last couple of years I've figured out ways that kind of help me um, de-stress like talking to other coaches as you say and I think as you as you say there we had 104 responses if I kept that open and got it out to a wider audience I'm sure I could have got a thousand responses to it you know it, I filled up 100 within I think it was 72 hours you know um, and it wasn't just Ireland it was people through word of mouth that, that filled that out but I do believe that that coaches do want to talk to each other. They want to talk to someone, but it's as I say, when I looked at the responses, the issues that coaches are having are far more common than uncommon. Um, but when we're in that when we're in that position where we have to help everybody else, it feels like you're on an island by yourself and, and there's nobody that you can talk to. So again, I'm hoping even, you know, through the responses that I've got, I want to tell my story about the the situations that I've had through my mental health. Um, and, and bring that to my coaching and how, how they kind of intertwine together. I'm hoping by me being open about my story is going to help coaches then feel, right, I'm not on my own here. You know, some, this, this other person who I've never met but is a coach has the same issues that I have. Um, so that's, that's something that I hope will help. Again, when we go back to talking about, you know, footballers that spoke about their mental health, I feel like just it only takes one. It's a domino effect. It only takes one or two and then everyone else will will be more inclined to open up about their own uh, their own experiences and what so obviously you know we all have individual responsibilities to kind of try and take care of ourselves try and take care of our fellow coaches and, and those around us but for those that are kind of in positions I guess like you are now which is in charge of other coaches mentoring other coaches how aware do you think they need to be and what can they start working into their practice to make sure that they're supporting the coaches that they're kind of looking after and helping to direct um i think in terms of you know because i'm kind of learning as i'm going and how i look after my, my own uh, staff with their with their mental health or I, I think one of the biggest things as i just said is i'll tell my staff and, and during when we're in season in, in the autumn and in spring it, it gets quite heavy work heavy in our um in our industry out here in america but what i'll tell my staff if i give them a Monday off I'm like turn your phone off if I try call you I'll leave you a voicemail if it's very urgent don't worry about you know it, it shouldn't be anything urgent so it's trying to persuade the coaches to switch off because they never do and then it's again you don't know when you're going to get that parent email you know and I keep I'll go back to this just because I've got so many of the uh, of the responses about that is parents are going to email about everything you know there's a demand when they're paying a fee especially in america where there's a high paid to play system you have to you know you have to look after parents you have to manage that relationship as well as the player relationship but i i would tell all my staff just once you clock off you're clocked off if you get an email just park it to the side and look after tomorrow because sometimes those external factors like parents will send an email in the heat of the moment without thinking about it and by the time you if you if you give it 12 hours before you respond they'll have cooled down you'll have a cooler head in what you can respond um and i I i think the biggest thing as well you know for how we should help our staff is talk to them you know talk to them see how they're doing like i had a conversation last week i think in one of my favorite parts of the day when i'm going to the field and i've got a lot of other work to do throughout the day before i get to the field one of my favorite parts is 
the half hour before training starts, you know, where I can go around and talk to the coach and have that chat with them. And it's not about, I very rarely ask, like, what are you working on today? I actually don't think I ever do. I, I don't think I've ever asked a coach that in the, in the time. It's, how are you doing? Um, you know, all our coaches are all from overseas, from Ireland, the UK. We've got Brazilian coaches, Argentinian coaches. So I'll ask them about how their family is back home. And just showing you care. Showing you care is probably the biggest thing. Um, and if, if they believe that you care and, and they believe they're in a club that cares about them, I feel like you're going to get more value out of them um, and they're going to feel better about themselves. You know, and I, so there would be two things is, you know, if, you, if they have time off, if your staff has time off, make sure they have it and respect, respect that boundary as a, as a leader as well. Um, and just check in on them, just check in and see how they're doing and just make sure they're doing OK. And I guess if we keep going up, up that ladder, what about... Um... Yeah, further up, governing bodies, leagues. You know, you mentioned you doing some work with the with the PFA in in Ireland. Do you think there's a role for greater guidance, greater intervention, there, more support for coaches from from these bodies? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I I think, you know, from just from a head in the game perspective, I mean, what we would like long term is we want head in the game to be for mental health. What um, show racism the red card is for diversity in football. You know, that that's the long term aim. I think we're starting to see see it slowly creeping in, but because there's no, I know in in the UK at professional level they've got the league managers association, but I don't believe there's actually a coaches association out there. Um, in the in the US there's the United Soccer Coaches, but that's you know you have to pay to become a member. It's not an actual governing body. So the problem is, you know, if you're a professional player, and again, and I I feel bad that I'm even like half talking negatively about play, player care because I think it's something that absolutely is needed but there is you know they've got a governing body the, the, the PFA in England the PFAI in Ireland that can actually push to get player care um, people within clubs you know they can say our players need this you know they can push for that a little bit more where if you're a coach again outside the LMA you, you're on your own so it, it is, yeah. I would love to see governing bodies. Um, sorry, I'm giving a long answer to your question, but I would love to see governing bodies like the FA, like the FAI, US Soccer, UEFA, FIFA, actually mandate and look after the coaches. Because I've even been thinking about this again, being on the the A license back in Ireland at the moment is like, should I bring this up to the coach education department? But then coach care is not part of coach education you know it's not part of their thing or other than I know they like in Ireland they do a really good job of actually educating coaches on psychology like we've done a psychology module on the A license um, they've got a, a CPD event on coach burnout actually happening next week as well which is great but outside again outside of that and this isn't probably even under their remit there's nobody to look after coaches there's nobody that's actually checking in on coaches and and educating them on, on their own mental health because that's half the battle. As I go back go back and say, is we all we're all hundred percent in it because we all love it. But then it it does get hard whether you're a volunteer, whether you're a full time person like I am in the game. It's very hard to actually switch off, you know. And even now, even though I've got some tools to switch off myself, I I still hardly ever switch off, you know. If I'm being completely honest, and I'm sure. 90% of the people listening will probably say the exact same as you can't get away from it. So it's, it's trying to figure out if anyone, again, as you say, you know, within these governing bodies can provide coaches with the support and with the tools to, to teach them how to switch off. And, you know, you said 
there as well about, you know, do, do I mention it here? And I think, um, I'll be really honest, when I put my article out, I wanted to do it, but I thought, do I do I share this? And I'm, I'm a grassroots coach and is there a stigma and is there going to be some kind of pushback? And I've heard... I've heard coaches say, oh, well, I'm not I'm not sharing what's going on with me. I might not get the next job. Like, you yeah. know, there's that kind of pressure and stigma. Do you think part of it is starting to break that down? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how, how many times and I've, I've spoke even to, to players within a professional dressing room of if a player comes and says that they're struggling, says it in the dressing room, well, the next thing they're going to be told are weak. You know, and I think this, the same goes for coaches. Like, as coaches, we have to make tough decisions sometimes so if we go and say like I'm struggling are the superiors is my board or is, is the board at your club going to say well we can't move them up higher than they are because they've struggled with their mental health they're, they're mentally weak and it's not that you're mentally weak it actually for me it takes a lot of strength you know it takes far more strength to actually turn around and say I'm struggling here and sometimes that's all people need to say you know and I can say from my own situations where where I've struggled with my mental health, I've let things bottle up time and time and time again, and it got to boiling point, and that's where I almost ended up on the brink, where there's been other times, and I'm learning it even now to, to this day, where, you know, in any job, in any coaching capacity, things go, things are going to go wrong, but it's, don't let all the little things build up. If something goes wrong once, just, just, tell, just vent to somebody that you're annoyed at that moment in time. I'm trying to mind my P's and Q's uh, here. Um, but just vent to someone, you know, that um, at that moment in time, how annoyed you are. And I guarantee after that, it's, it's less annoying. Where if you let that build up and then there's another little problem and then there's not another little, of course, it's going to build and it's all going to explode at some point. So it's um, it's it's learning those ways. And it's, it's, it's just learning, as I say, learning to let those, those little, not to let those little things become something much bigger than than it is if you if you just express how you're feeling that moment in time it, it can certainly help well look I think you've given yeah this chat's been great and I think for listeners you've given them so much to to think about and I think it's also just been great to hear you you speak about your experiences and what what's the I suppose the one or two things you hope that a coach listening to this really takes away from it yeah I, I suppose the number one thing is if the there's a coach listening to this that's struggling. It's just that they know that they're not on their own. You know, they're not the only one that's struggling. Um, as I say, I, I'd be surprised if if everybody that's listening to this podcast hasn't struggled at some point. But there's probably other people listening. As I say, I, I'm struggling. I str- about once a year, once twice a year, I get to a point where I'm struggling a little bit again, and it's just that's probably the biggest thing is just know that you're not on your own. And number two is don't be afraid to switch off. You know, don't be afraid to set those boundaries with people and tell them. You know, if if your game day is a Saturday, tell them if you want me, I'll I'll be available on Monday. Take that Sunday off and forget about forget about your job or your coaching. Forget about your team. As uh, it sounds easier, uh, and as I say, it's uh, it's something that I struggle with as well to actually set those boundaries. But being able to do that, I mean, it just it, it makes a it makes a big big difference in, in your own mental health to be able to switch off and. Uh, I know you said two things. If I say one more, if you've got a family, spend time spend time with your family and friends as well. Don't don't neglect them for what you're doing. You know, make sure you have that that kind of work life balance. That was the voice of Dean Arrowsmith. Thanks to Dean for his time, his honesty, and all of the work he does. And thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time, or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, advice, interviews, and much more. 
I'm Seth Fairburn. See you again soon.